This is Jason Cass. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I'll tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called NP Local. Hey, local listeners, this is Scott Nearman, and I am back with you for the next episode of NP Local, where we're here for you and you are not alone. My normal co-host, Jason Cass, is out today, but I'm pleased to let you know that I have a special guest with me and a good friend, Dr. Garland Vance, from right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. How are you, Garland? Oh, I'm great, Scott. Glad to be here and excited about our conversation. So uh, let me tell you a little bit for our listeners about Garland. Garland has co-founded Advanced Leadership with his wife, Dorothy. Through his writing, speaking, coaching, and consulting, Garland helps individuals and organizations know and do their why while living and leading with a greater sense of peace. Garland has nonprofit experience before he was a full-time coach and consultant. He worked for a Chick-fil-A-affiliated nonprofit down near Atlanta while earning his doctorate, doctorate in leadership, and raising three wonderful kids. But it was during that time that his doctor told him he was stressed out because of his busyness. Garland is the author of Getting Unbusy. That's the title of the book, Five Steps to Kill Busyness and Live with Purpose, Productivity, and Peace. So I'm going to hush now, Garland. Why don't you tell us that story of how you became interested in the topic of busyness and maybe define that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it happened way back in 2013. I went to my doctor with all of these weird physical problems, and I, I I just needed him to tell me what was wrong with me. I was I was having chronic migraine headaches. I was exhausted all the time. I would wake up exhausted, go to bed exhausted. I was forgetful. Uh, my wife and I would have conversations, and then the next day she would reference that conversation. And I have a no idea what she was talking about, which I later found out was called being a man, but I, I was really concerned <laughs> about it at the time, really concerned about it at the time. Um, and so I was just having all of these, these physical problems. And I went to my doctor named Dr. Tate and, and I said, you know, help me understand what's going on. And he said, well, tell me about your life. And I said the same thing that almost everybody says. I said, oh, it's a good life. It's just really busy. And he said, well, what do you mean by busyness? And I said, well, I, I work 50 to 60 hours a week for this nonprofit, um, and I love doing that. And I uh, work about 10 to 20 hours a week on my doctorate in leadership, and I travel about 60 days a year between work and school. And my wife and I have three young kids, and so they're they're busy doing all kinds of, of stuff. And and I'm helping our church start a, a leadership program. And so we're, we're committed to that. And then I said, oh, and, and by the way, my mom passed away about a year ago. And so we slowed down over the last year, been tr- really intentional. And he said, Garland, I, I think I know what your problem is. And I'm thinking, is it a brain tumor? You know, what's going on here? Is, and, um, and he said, uh, I think you're stressed out. And I got really mad at him. And, and I just said, you know, like stress is what, what weak people feel, you know, I, why in the right. world would I be stressed out? And he said, because you're so busy. And I said, Dr. Tate, everybody's busy. He said, I know, uh, and it's killing us all. 
And so since I was working on this doctrine in leadership, and since I had heard so many leaders talking about how busy they were, I decided as kind of a pet project to start researching it. And the more and more I researched it, and the more I realized how Dr. Tate was absolutely right, that busyness is killing us all. And to make matters worse, we brag about it all the time. You know, any, mm. anytime somebody asks us how we're doing, we say, I'm good. I'm just really busy. busy. And right. so we're bragging about the very thing that's killing us. Wow. Wow. And I've read the book, as you know, and that struck me because so many of the symptoms that you have mentioned or the phrasing that we use. Uh, in fact, in the early chapters, we talk about several things related to symptoms of busyness, both in individuals and in organizations. And so those resonate with me very well. And of course, as a nonprofit professional, I think this is perhaps everywhere, but maybe particularly prevalent. And those who are my peers and our listeners on NP Local here who feel that they're saving the world, who are, as I say, true blue, right? The staff members that really, truly buy into the mission, they're going to do those 50 plus hour weeks. They're going to, you know, not count the the cost. And I think it's further been exacerbated by the pandemic, right? We yeah. have this work from home that it's kind of hard to draw the line now between work yeah. and home. Yeah, absolutely. What are those symptoms? Can you tell us about the how do we know if we are busy and we may need to get unbusy? Yeah. Yeah. So th there are a lot of different effects that it can have on you. So busyness, uh, the research out there is showing that busyness affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, that it affects us spiritually. It affects our productivity. It affects entire organizations. And so I, there are a lot of different ways to, you know, to, to, to talk through that. One of the ones that I would say is a lot of people recently are talking about feeling burned out, you know, that term. Mm -hmm. In 2019, before the pandemic, the World Health Organization said that burnout was a major medical problem. And they said at the time they didn't know what to do uh, about it. So a lot of people are talking about burnout, but not necessarily aware of what burnout looks like. So there's there's three stages in burnout. Uh, the, the first is emotional exhaustion. So emotional exhaustion is, is where you say... Um, like at the core of my being, I don't have the energy to do what I need to do. I can, doesn't matter how much caffeine I drink, doesn't matter how much sleep I get. I'm just tired at the core of my being. And you feel like you're kind of walking around in a fog. Second stage of burnout is what's known as depersonalization. And depersonalization is where we begin to dislike or even resent the people that we care about the most. This is especially uh, challenging for nonprofit leaders because you deeply care about the people that you're helping. You've sacrificed uh, your life. You've probably sacrificed a better career as far as salary goes in order to to do something that's very mission driven and very right. that you're very passionate about. And yet when you begin to experience depersonalization, you actually resent the people who you're helping the most and you begin to think about them negatively. Uh, and then the third stage of burnout is a loss of any sense of personal accomplishment. So it's where it doesn't matter what you've done, how much you've accomplished in a day, in a year, in a lifetime, it all feels like 
it's it's nothing, right? You don't see the the 10 things you accomplished today, you see the 100 things that you didn't accomplish. And the so the ongoing to-do list. The ongoing to-do list. Yeah. And and the the reality is every person is going to die with an unfinished to-do list, right? And right. so the the quicker we can acknowledge that reality, um, the, the quicker we can embrace it and kind of move on and, and say, okay, well, th- that's going to happen. So so I would say paying attention to those three stages. Are you emotionally exhausted? Are you feeling depersonalized? Are you feeling any sense of lack of um, personal accomplishment? That's a high indicator of burnout. And burnout has been closely uh, connected to busyness and overcommitment. Right, right. And th- those things take a quite a toll on on you personally. So you've shared some of those symptoms. I mean, the fact the World Health Organization calls it a major medical issue, but uh, it also takes a toll on organizations. And I, yeah. I speak a lot on this podcast about organizational management. But you know, as much as I can speak to best practices, I don't always do that correct by any means <laughs> or the best way. And so I think this is an area, you know, that we can all learn from because the risk, not only to our own health, but to the health of our organizations is huge. Yeah. In your book, you mentioned uh, productivity. You want to talk about that and other ways that our organizations are hurting whenever we are maybe yeah. unconsciously doing this. Yeah. So, um, so let me highlight two ways. And I should have said this earlier, but I think it helps to understand what busyness is. You asked me to define it uh, earlier. Busyness is an overcommitment to too many good commitments. Okay. Right. Nobody's busy, especially nonprofit leaders. Nobody's busy because they're doing bad things. You know, unless you're a drug dealer or a dictator, you're not doing bad things, right? You're doing so many good things that when you put them all together, it becomes overwhelming. And um, so, so let me just highlight one effect on our productivity and one effect right. on our organizations. So, as far as our productivity goes, the busier we are, the 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 more we exchange uh, instead of accomplishing things, we're just achieving things. And here's mm-hmm. the the difference. it's it's activity versus results, right? Achieving things is um, it's it's like getting on a treadmill, right? you're you're not actually going anywhere even though you're exhausting yourself, right? Whereas accomplishment is saying, hey, I, I walked nine miles at Disney World today, right? We had a vacation and we got someplace and we did all this, this, and it wasn't just activity for the sake of activity. It was accomplishment. So the busier we mm. are, the harder it becomes to identify what are the priorities, what's most important for us to do. And we tend to think that the busier we are, the busier we need to be. And so we just keep adding more and more uh, commitments onto our plate. Now that has an effect on our organizations. Sure. Uh, w- one of the effects of the organizations is we go uh, an inch deep and a mile wide, and we actually don't make the impact that we're trying to make. We're so busy doing so many good things that we can't actually do the great things that we want to do. It, it's the difference between a light bulb and a laser. Right. When you can get really, really focused on what are the most important things for our organization to accomplish and how do we keep narrowing that and say no to everything else, then you can really begin to have an impact. But if you're 
if you're just busy doing a whole lot of activities, you're, you're not having the impact that you want to have. You've also talked in your book, Garland, I believe, about the organizations that are considered busyness or busy organizations and how they put more work on the busy person. And we all know this is this happens in circles of friends. You know, this happens uh, in organizations of all sizes that that individual who tends to want to achieve or is maybe more driven than others due to the stage of their career, due to their buy into the mission or whatever the case may be, that they are often assigned additional tasks. And, mm. and I'm sure you've experienced this. I've experienced this. What do you say to the managers out there uh, about those high productive employees and, and the, the stars on their teams? How do we protect not only ourselves and our organization, but the, the people on, that we lead? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the easiest way to protect your people is to give them permission to push back. Um, and sometimes that means saying no. But I think as a manager, that's always a little uh, scary to, to say to your people, hey, you can tell me no anytime. That, that's terrifying to most managers. And so what I found for most managers is if you are delegating something to someone or you're giving a responsibility to someone, if you will say to them, what needs to be deprioritized? What on your plate needs to be deprioritized in order right. to make room for this new priority? Or if you're on the receiving end of it, another way of saying that is to, to look at your manager and to say, here are the three or four priorities that I thought were most important, where does this new project fall in line mm -hmm. with those? And what do I need to bump down as a result of it? And it gives a manager just a little bit of time to really look at your priority list and go, oh, well, you know, that's, that's number four out of five, or in a really great scenario, oh, that's way down on the priority list. So when a right. boss is, is giving us something, we can kind of take a little bit of a, a fresh breath and go, okay, this is not a drop everything and do it right now. It's a lower priority, but just getting clarity creates so much, uh, it reduces right. stress. Right. And I think from where you sit in an organization, it may be more or less straightforward for a staff person to do that. But I, I do that with my team. I'm a, my day job as an executive director of a small, non medium sized nonprofit. But, you know, when I report to the president of the college, that may be a little bit different because he doesn't know all of the ins and outs or details of our day to day. So I have to focus on those big projects, those big things that move the ball forward. As you say, not, not the treadmill tasks, but the, the, the big ones, right? The right. big, the big rocks in the jar, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the higher you go in, in leadership, the harder that becomes, uh, but the more important that is of creating clarity of these are the, the few things that I can do um, and, and do well. Um, in the Four Disciplines of Execution, this phenomenal book, they talk about for a team that has uh, 11 or more priorities, they have a 5% chance of accomplishing any of those, yeah. just one of those, right? If you yeah. have four to 10 priorities, you have a 20% chance of accomplishing 
one of those. But if you have three or fewer priorities, then you go up to a 90% chance of accomplishing all three of them. And so it's just really important for you as a leader to, to be able to say, these are the few things that are the most important for us to do. Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a few minutes left, uh, Garland. And of course, I commend your book to any of our listeners, particularly those in a leadership role. I think, as you've stated, that is more and more critical for those leading a team or leading an organization that we do this right. But for every, all of our listeners' health, what are, what are the steps that you prescribe to getting unbusy, as your yeah. book title reads? Yeah. So here's the good news. Before I tell you the steps, it took me three years to figure it out, right? Intense doctoral research took about three years to to figure out and implement. Takes you about 30 days to, to implement, which might sound like a long time, but it's actually really short and condensed. Takes about 10 minutes a day to, to focus on. So what the research showed is that there's five steps. They all start with D. I have this nonprofit ministry background. And so everything's got to start with the same letter, right? So the five steps, I'm going to go over them real quick and then do a little bit more in depth for each of them. It's number one is decide. Number two is deconstruct. Number three is design. Number four is develop. And number five is draw others in. So that this Mm -hmm. first step decide is where you decide that busyness is not worth it and that you're going to get unbusy. You have to make that decision even if you don't know how it's going to happen. That's how every great change in a person's life happens, is you make a decision before you know all the details of it. So the first step is to decide. The second step is you begin to deconstruct. And specifically, what we want to deconstruct are some of the inhibiting beliefs that keep you trapped in busyness, and also some of the commitments that you've made that you don't want anymore. Very, very often when we begin to uh, I call it commit to uncommit. When you commit to uncommit, you'll find about five to 10 hours a week of commitments in your life. Yeah, you're talking. That's, that's significant. Yeah, uh, 500 hours over the course of a year. If you, you know, if you just eliminate five hours per week of commitments that you say, I don't want to do this anymore. And, or there's other ways that I can, can do this. So yeah. deconstruct is a really powerful step. Third step is you begin to design and, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, design the life you want to live. That's part of it, but it's more of saying, what is the, how do I design the pace of life that I want to live? How do I uh, make sure that I'm not working 24 seven, that I'm not always on? How do I design a life at the pace that I want to live at? And Garland, let me say one of your endorsers of this book is, Dan Miller, yep. who's written 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I love Dan. Dan is the reason I am where I am and doing what I'm doing hmm. today. And I think working through his workbook, you know, you can do some of that um, constructing of uh, and designing of what you want in your life. Yeah. I think that's the premise of, of a lot of what he says, too. I think that's excellent. Yeah. And and it's fun to do that. You know, what happens a lot of times is people try to design before they deconstruct. And so we end up adding chaos to an already chaotic life. Yeah. And that's why deconstructing is, is really important as step number two. So step number three, design. Step number four is develop. So this is where you actually begin to develop some habits and practices and calendar uh, 
you know, calendar usage that help you better manage your time. So we don't even talk about time management until step four, because busyness isn't a time management problem. It's a commitment problem. And then in step five, it's drawing others in. So you want to draw in your family, your friends, and your coworkers and get them involved in in getting unbusy. Um, And I unfortunately had to learn this one the hard way. Uh, In the original model, I only had those first four steps and I was coaching someone through getting unbusy and we Mm. finally had implemented the first four steps. And I said, how does it feel? And she said, it feels really lonely right now. And because all of her family and friends were still living this warp speed lifestyle. And so we want to begin involving other people, our family, our friends and our coworkers. And this is where leaders can really begin to see the fruit of getting unbusy take place in their team, which allows their team to stress less and accomplish more. Well, and I love what you talk about with with the drawing in. You talk about it a couple of places, but you're making time for relationship, recreation, rest, and reflection. Garland, I was an undergraduate philosophy major, and you know uh, somehow that led me to nonprofits and fundraising. But (laughs) (laughs) you know, Aristotle said a long, long time ago that you've got to have that reflection time. And for those of us, you know, that are spiritual people that. Um, have a, a faith in, in that greater uh, God. And, and uh, you know, you've got to reflect on that if you're going to take joy or peace from that, right? Yep. Wh- whatever the faith is, I presume. Yeah. But, but you know, relationships energize me. Hmm. Recreation, you know, rest. I've taken several days off work here. We're recording this podcast uh, around Thanksgiving time. And so I've taken an extra day, though today's a Monday, uh, you know, and, nice. and just scheduling that that time so it, it does become that white space or that carving out after yeah. you've done the other after you've yep. done the other things yeah it's it's absolutely critical you you reference I call those the core four of of relationships recreation rest and reflection and those are the things that you build into your life and into your calendar first and then move everything else around those. And what busy people right. tend to do is we we try to cram relationships, recreation, rest, reflection. We try to cram those into the nooks and crannies of life. And there aren't any nooks and crannies when our life is so busy. Right, right. Well, Garland, I just want to commend this. Are there any final words that you'd like to share with our listeners as I promote the book? And uh, I'm going to share your website and things in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, what I would say, the last thing I would say is make busy a bad word in your family. Uh, Several years ago, my uh, wife was sitting at the table and she looked kind of tired. And my, my youngest son at the time was nine years old. And he said, Mom, are you okay? You seem kind of B-wordish. And all of us, you know, were shocked at that moment. And we were like, whoa, you know, there are certain things you don't say. And, and my wife had the insight to say, what B-word are you talking about? And he said, you seem kind of, you know, busy. And it was so funny to me that busy had become a bad word to him. And, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Make busy a bad word. When somebody asks you how you're doing, don't say I'm busy. Don't allow yourself to, to get caught up in, in believing that and instead make it a bad word. And you're going to find out you, like I said earlier, you're going to stress a whole lot less and accomplish a whole lot more. Garland, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I'm going to be sure that Jason listens to this. I'll 
commend this episode to many friends because I know this is a common need and a real call to reflect. And perhaps over the holidays, beginning of the new year, when this episode airs, that my colleagues in the nonprofit world will pick up this book or buy it for someone they love. So find out more about Garland at www.gettingunbusybook.com or advancedleadership.live. And this has been NP Local, and I'm Scott Nearman, and that's a wrap.